the word of God today. I've titled this message, The Word of Our Testimony, which is, is, is kind of uh, broad, but I would like to be as specific as possible. Uh, the word of our testimony. In, in other words, um, there is something that you have from God that keeps you moving forward. And uh, it is the word of our testimony. And uh, your testimony is a very, very powerful weapon uh, in your spiritual arsenal. It, it's very powerful. Your testimony, your witness. Um, and it contains your history with God's faithfulness. It, that's what it contains. Your testimony is your history um, uh, of God's faithfulness uh, to you and your family and others in the body of Christ. And so it's not like we're just flying solo. We have a history with God, a personal history. We have a family history, and then that extended family history, our church body. And we have, we have so many examples of God's faithfulness to us. We should never, ever be discouraged or have a lack of heart. We should never, we should never. Uh, I remember a number, a number of years ago, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 34 or so years ago, I felt discouraged. And I remember being very discouraged. I thought, God, I'm so discouraged. I'm so discouraged. And it was like the Holy Spirit arrested me and asked, why? And I said, I don't have any reason to be discouraged. So why am I discouraged? Because I was believing something that was not true. Because God has, through Christ, poured his courage into us. The reason we keep going when maybe everything around us seems to say quit we keep going because God has made us courageous through Jesus Christ. We have to accept that. You have to accept what God is giving to you. Even God, when he gives a gift, he doesn't take you and, and open your, your, your arms, pull, pull your knuckles back and say, take this gift and close it up. He doesn't do that. It, and you, to, to uh, uh, take a gift, you must receive it from the, from the giver. You must say, yes, I will take this from the giver. And so God has given us so much that I am acutely aware of these days that we have not really laid hold of it, not even in its full measure. So uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And I thought that because of the times in which we live, uh, we should be encouraged. I would like to continue to encourage you. Although God has poured courage into us, we will remind each other of what God has done. The Bible speaks of a, a company of victorious people. And he says here, John writes, um, and they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb. And so what he shows us is the efficaciousness of the blood of the lamb. And we say efficacious. I like the word efficacious because it talks of something that is highly effective, something that, uh, that um, gets the job done. So he tells us that they, those victorious people, that victorious company, you and I uh, overcame him by the blood of the lamb. First and foremost is the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the word of their testimony, by the word of their testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So it wasn't one or the other because uh, as we'll see here, there was, a, there was something going on in their testimony, their witness uh, of God, their, their report. They overcame, they subdued, they conquered, 
they prevailed, they uh, attained victory um, by the word of their testimony. So what is their testimony? It was something that was said. It was, but not just said in an arbitrary way, but it was something said that was from God. They were obviously, we, the, these victorious saints are now repeating something they heard from God. And this word, he says the word, the logos. And this logos is the divine expression. So they had a divine expression that they were not only saying, but they were now living it out. There was a divine expression. This divine expression is a divine communication. So they had been communicated something uh, from, uh, they had commu been communicated uh, something from God, and now from this communication, they were now speaking it and living it. So this communication is, as it were, Christ himself. And it's also the preaching of the gospel. Those things they overcame by all of that. Not just somebody in the pulpit, but the preaching of the gospel. But, but now, uh, John also gives us some more information, which I think is very pertinent. It belongs to the, in this conversation. They overcame him, the enemy, by the, uh, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So they had, they had reached the point to where they were not in love with their own life. They were not in love with their own plans, their own agenda. They loved not their lives to the death. Yes, the ESV, the English Standard Version says, for they love not their lives even unto death. There is, a, there is a nuance of difference there. They didn't love their lives to the death, but they did not love their lives even unto death. You know, and what I think what we, we are seeing here is that when somebody knows they're about to die, there's something in us that says, I don't want to go there. And so, but they had so walked with God that they were saying, even that doesn't matter. My life is not my own. And this is what I believe God is training us in and is bringing us to this point right now. So the things, we are made stronger even in those things that we suffer. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, uh, Paul is, is really is speaking to, to the Ephesian elders in, in this text. And uh, he is now, they've, they've walked him uh, to a little beach area. And Paul is saying here, uh, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I don't really fully know. And this is to, to help all of us because just because you love Jesus and because you're filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you know everything. And God does not share everything with you. When you find people who just know everything and I feel and I know, you know, and I, you know, you have to be careful listening. Because God doesn't tell us everything. God doesn't tell me everything about you. God is not a gossip. God doesn't tell me all your business. Now, sometimes when your business is getting uh, ready to get into my business, he'll tell me. Yeah, but, but he doesn't tell us that. He, it's, that's not the way God operates. And, there, and even the pastor or the prophet doesn't know everything. And sometimes when, uh, and I, let me just be real to you, with you for a moment. Sometimes when people with prophetic giftings will come around, <clears throat> they start to brandish them like they're some 357 Magnum or, or something. You know, they start to brandish the gifts and they'll kind of look at you and walk up to you and just kind of go up and down and just look at you to make you nervous. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't, don't be bullied by that. But Paul says here, um, 
not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Now, that was true uh, in a measure, and it was true because he, he didn't really fully know, but it had been prophesied that some things that were going to happen. What Paul is meaning here is that he doesn't know the full extent of what's going to happen because uh, Philip's daughters had prophesied to him. Agabus had prophesied to him. So here he says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Isn't that big? You know, so God is telling him this is chains and tribulations. Uh, you know, you're going to be arrested. They're going to bind you uh, when you get to Jerusalem. He says, but none of these things move me. None of these things unsettle me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. Wow, that's this is big language. Not, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So not tribulation don't move me. Chains and imprisonment do not move me. What moves us? Is it the spirit of God or all the things that are going on in the world? I, I, it's very interesting. In my life is, a, is quite interesting in the sense that I'm, yours is, is as well. But I remember my mom uh, always quoting scriptures to me. Uh, my mother always uh, quoted scriptures. I mean, I, I can tell you so many scriptures, so many scriptures, because my mother would quote them day after day after day after day. And she would tell me that, me that there was coming a day in which men's hearts would fail them for fear. They would have heart attacks because of fear. Of, uh, they would see things happening in the world, and they would become fearful. And, and what I believe was going on in me as a little boy, I, I, she was inculcating something in me by the Holy Spirit. She may not have known exactly why, but she was inculcating something in me by the Holy Spirit. And, and so what we want to do is continue that process of inculcation that is embedding something in you, putting something into your heart, into your spirit, man, so that you, these things won't move you. These things won't move. Whatever's going on, it won't move you. Now, you say, well, Pastor Don, you said you were moved. Yes, I am moved to tears, but I'm not moved to fear. Are you with me? Let's give it all in hand. This same verse that I just read in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, the English Standard Version says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. They're waiting for me. But I do not account my life of any value. Listen, to, you know, you can have this too. You have the same Holy Spirit that Paul had. So when we look at the day and we see the things that are happening, let's be like the Apostle Paul, our, our brother, who says uh, to us, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. Isn't that good? May I read it to you in the Message Bible? Thank you. The Message Bible says, 
But there is another urgency before me now. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. And this is all right. Sometimes when we feel compelled to, to do something that the Holy Spirit is moving us to do, others will try to stop us and tell us, be reasonable. We are reasonable in the Spirit. Sometimes they will, they will say, well, use your head. Well, no, I can't use my head. It's under renovation. I'm going to use my heart. My heart is fixed. My heart is not, as it were, under renovation. My head is, my soul is being renovated. But I am saved here. And so I'm being compelled from here. He's, he was compelled to go to Jerusalem. He says, I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. So what he's, what he's saying is, he knows that this is, that tribulations, that change, imprisonment will await him, but he doesn't know specifically how bad that will be or what will be all those results. He says, I do not know. I do know that it won't be any picnic. I know, I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but the message Bible says it won't be a picnic. <laughs> For the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead, but that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this extravagant generosity of God. Wow. Wow. And that's where we are. That's where we are in time. I told you several times about a young Amanda Amanda Golden at the time. She's married now. But Amanda came into the back. She was a young university student who came one day. Uh, she came with some of our young people. And uh, she would always just kind of hang around. And, and so I sort of like adopted her as like a daughter. And, um, and Amanda uh, one day said, Pastor, I got a word from God for you. You know, I smiled. Yeah, she said, God says he's going to leave you with us that you thought it was your generation that was going to go in and do all this stuff, but it's our generation. But he's going to leave you here with us. She didn't know that I'd been praying after I, after I had some discernment. I said, Lord, it looks like me and my boys failed, you know, to do all this work that you had given us to do. We haven't done it well, but it looks like to me, I'm saying we failed in the sense that I thought we would do it. And then... Uh, I said, but I've been thinking, no, it's this next generation. And I feel like the things that I'm saying, I'm, I'm preaching them to you. Just as, much as, as my dad and my mom always preached to me and told me. Oh, we didn't call it preaching, but that's what they were doing to me all the time. All the time. Preparing me for, the, for today. I had no idea I was being prepared. But you have an idea. So you ought to take notes. You, you ought to think about it. You ought to pray about it. Because, because I believe the end of these things are coming upon you. Amen. And I've just asked, that, Lord, let me stay around as a counselor, not because I'm afraid to die. And so you and I have this amazing witness within us. This is, uh, this is our testimony. They overcame by the word of their testimony, their record with God, the, 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 the witness of God in them, and then their witness for God. Those are things that we cannot be cavalier about. We want to be in the will of God. It doesn't matter what others are doing. We want to be in the will of God. I don't compare this fellowship with other churches. I don't because we, we seem to be unique. Perhaps they are unique also, but I do know that we are unique. And so we have a different mission. We do. Yeah. 
you know, so the, the, the Navy SEAL team, uh, those guys uh, have a different mission than the cooks. You know, but, but both are necessary. Are you still with me? Come on, say amen. And so we overcame. That means subdued, prevailed, gained victory, prevailed. Sometimes when I talk about uh, uh, using the word uh, things are prevalent, uh, I, I, I say, wait a minute, that's not a good word because evil is not prevalent, it's pervasive, it's everywhere, but it's not prevailing because we are the prevailing force of God. The church, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not, will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus says about us. That's what every time you feel down and lonely and I'm going to give up, oh, snap out of it. Snap out of it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord delivers her out of them all. Not some of them or most of them, but all of them. That's the word of God. And we need to hear the word of God. Hallelujah, somebody. And in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 26 to 27, um, uh, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own disciple, I'm sorry, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Let me read that better. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. There is no other way. Wow, this is tough. And so you say, well, what does hate mean? It means hate. It's the, it's the Greek word, meseo, to detest. By extension, it means to love less, to hate, to hate, to love less. In other words, I do not put myself above God. I do not put my interests above his interests. I do not put my desires and my wants above his. He is supreme. Amen. 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 So he tells us how to be his disciple. So, so he says, if, if, um, if, I, if we come to him and we don't have him first, as first, he's first in priority. He's first. It's not like he's first and then this one. No, he's first. So whatever he wants, everything else is subordinate to that. And, so, and then in verse 27, he says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So there are two things. You've got to hate your own life. And um, he says, hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. I know some of you are saying, explain it. <laughs> you know, because you're nervous about it. You know, but this is what he means. And so when he says you cannot be, uh, you have to take up your cross and come after me or you cannot be. So what does that mean? So both of these examples are, uh, are an exposure to death. The cross is exposing yourself to death. That is self-denial. By, by implication, it, just, it means the atonement that Christ gave for you. Christ paid the ultimate for you. And what he is saying is if you come after him, you have to walk in that pattern ultimately. You have to walk in that pattern that you, you don't have anything greater than Jesus in your life. I know, I know that this is it's tough for somebody. You see, the stress in this particular, uh, these particular scriptures is on the priority of love. 
It's, a, it's on the priority of love. One's loyalty to Jesus must come before his loyalty to his family or even to life itself. This is what Jesus is saying. So then my devotion to Jesus is greater than, than that to my devotion to my wife. We've been married now 53 years. And, but my devotion to Jesus must be greater. And I'm going to say this, I want to say this carefully, but there are times when Jesus calls, and I know she is not in agreement. Uh, Pastor Stan tells a story about Charles Spurgeon when he would get ready to go out on his trips that his wife would, would be very sad. And I think he would say something to this effect. Help me, uh, Pastor. Uh, oh, are you like crying over your little lamb? You see, he's a sacrificial lamb. See, that lamb, that, that, the Passover lamb that you brought into your house uh, four day, for four days, you got to like that little lamb. That was a cute little lamb, a sweet little lamb. And then on the fourth day, you were going to kill it? Can you imagine what the children said? I know. I know. I mean, I accidentally ran over something one time. I won't tell you what it was, but... I accidentally ran over something one time, and my, I thought my children and my wife were going to kick me out of the car. I didn't mean to, but I did. I will tell you one other thing, and you, you, you will forgive me. I know you will. I, I was on a ranch once. I was on one of these big ranches and was working in the oil business, and uh, there was a rabbit running by my car, and I, and I thought, well, the rabbit's going to go into the bushes. You can't assume stuff, right? But that's not my message. It's not you can't assume stuff. But, but I'm just saying that, can you imagine that sacrificial lamb? Well, that little rabbit ran out of my car, and I heard it crying. And today, it, it, I can't stand it. I said, God, get this out of my head. It was a rabbit. But I heard it cry. You see, when, 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 when that lamb was in that house, and those people were going to kill it and eat it, the children weren't happy, I'm sure. And, and so when we are called of God to do something, I know we are called together, but that doesn't mean that we have some confab and decide what God is saying. Well, the Holy Spirit will move you to do something, and you have to do it. You have to say, babe, this is what God is telling me. You know, and you have to do that thing. What am I trying to say? I'm saying it costs to follow Jesus. It costs to follow Jesus. So one's loyalty to Jesus must come before his loyalty to his family or her family and even to life itself. Those who did follow Jesus against their family desires in the, in the, in the early days when Christ walked the earth, when they followed Jesus, do you, do you know that they probably thought, you hate me? You know, the, in John chapter 6, remember the, this, this young guy. You've got to read that in the NIV, NVI, Nueva Versión Internacional. Read John chapter to 9 if you, if you read that. This man who was born blind, his parents didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue because of him. They were excommunicated. Now, we don't really grasp excommunication because we live in America. We, we have, a lot of Christians live in America. We have a great number of Christians, but I wouldn't call us a Christian nation. Don't, don't stone me. I wouldn't because much of it is secular and a lot of secular things are going on. And so, but, so we don't grasp this too well because, you know, if uh, you follow Jesus, you know, you, you, you can kind of move away from your folks and it won't affect their lives. But in Judaism and in some, even in Islam, it's, it's like that. When you come to Jesus from Islam, you could be murdered easily. You know, they will kill you to save you, so to speak. And we know, I've known of people who were, who were killed, who were murdered 
who were poisoned. And in, in the old day, so the, this young man, this man uh, now who has been made well, he's, he was blind, born blind. Now he can see, right? And um, so the, the, the Pharisees wanted to... Uh, bring him before, uh, upon charges, you know, you know, who is this man who healed you, blah, blah, blah. And they even brought his parents there, remember? They brought his parents to testify. He said, look, 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 look. We want to protect ourselves here. They didn't say that, but that's what it meant. We, want to, we, we got to protect ourselves. This is our son. We know that. He was born blind. We know that. But how he saw, how, how he sees now, we don't know anything about it. He's grown, ask him. Pressure, pressure. There, there's pressure on, on us believing. You believe right things now, people come against you. Well, why do you believe like that? Why, why is this? Why is that? You know, there's pressure, and it's, it's coming to bear more and more upon us. Let's be wary. Let's be aware of that, all right? And let's fortify ourselves. And whatever Jesus says, our priority is to do what he says over, over what I want, over what my wife wants, over what my children might want or grandchildren might want, I've got to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow him. That's what this is all about. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read this and then I, I, I will be done. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the, the second difficult thing, thing here that Jesus is stressing, when he said, he talked about love and then he talked about the cross. He stressed that one must carry his own cross, and to follow Jesus. And what in my studies, I've, I, I read upon something about, about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, you know, Jesus was crucified by Rome, uh, by the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, handing him over to Rome because they could not carry out capital punishment. And so when the Roman Empire crucified a criminal or captive, the victim was often forced to carry his cross part of the way uh, at least part of the way to the crucifixion site. And carrying his cross through the heart of the city was supposed to be like an admission that Rome was correct and that the criminal was guilty. The sentence of death that was imposed upon him was just. So when Jesus is saying to us, you have to carry your, your cross, follow me, carry your cross. He carried his cross. Follow me, carry your cross. He was referring to a public display before others that Jesus is right. And everything he demands of us is right. Even if it carries us to our death, he's right. And this is what the religious leaders of his day refused to do. But you and I are doing it. So we'll talk more about this at another time. Thank you so much. Brother James.